This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by The Jesus Music, the new documentary from Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine, featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music. The Jesus Music, only in theaters beginning October 1st. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. This hour of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you in part by Courageous Legacy, the new film from Sherwood Pictures, Affirm Films, Provident Films, and the Kendrick Brothers, remastered in 4K and including a new ending, Courageous Legacy, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13 in theaters this Friday. Well, welcome to another day's broadcast. I want to talk a little bit about this refugee resettlement issue. This is going to be an issue again. It's Obama 2.0. We talked about this subject almost, I thought, on some days to death back then because you had the liberals and evangelicalism constantly pushing outfits like World Relief. Oh, we must love our neighbors who are coming from other countries. Look, I'm fine with the concept of offering sanctuary in the United States for certain people from other parts of the world under certain circumstances. I'm not against refugees at all as a concept, but I had big problems with what went down during the Obama administration because we know what the liberals want to do with our situation here in the United States. And they were bringing in people. And then when Trump came in, He instituted what I thought was a very common sense policy that was centered around national security. And it was when we have these nations that are terrorist linked, how about we not bring people we can't vet from those particular countries into the United States because we have this crazy idea here in this country that maybe we don't want another terrorist attack. How about we use some common sense? Then the Democrats took that issue and started screaming Muslim ban, which was a lie from the get go. So here we are, 2021. This is the latest from President Joe Biden, he is planning to bring to the United States in fiscal year 2022 about 10 times as many refugees as he will have brought in this year. This was confirmed by the State Department earlier this week, reported by Breitbart. In May, Joe Biden announced he would raise the refugee resettlement cap to 62,500 refugees for this fiscal year. That was more than four times the cap that former President Trump imposed for the year. It was at 15,000. Biden brought it up to 62,500. So this upcoming fiscal year, 2022, which begins October 1st, Biden will set the cap at 125,000 refugees who can be resettled across the U.S. over the subsequent 12 months. The data projects that the Biden administration will have brought about 12,500 refugees to the U.S. by the end of this fiscal year. And of course, the cap is merely a numerical limit, not a goal for the State Department to reach. You don't know what's going to happen, though. Specifically, the State Department will allocate the most refugee spots for Africans and foreign nationals from the East and South Asia. East and South Asia. About 10,000 spots will go to Europeans and foreign nationals in Central Asia, while 15,000 spots will be allocated to Latin Americans and those in the Caribbean. Now, what's missing from that list? Were you paying attention? Wake up. Did you hear what wasn't in that list? 
Oh, let me think. The the, the Middle East? Who, who is in the Middle East who might need some refugee resettlement? Just thinking off the top of my head, who might be in need of some refugee resettlement that's legitimate because they are being persecuted and they are being threatened and they are suffering tremendously for their faith? Oh, let's see. Could it be Christians? Yeah, of course it's Christians. That's why PJ Media has a headline over at their site that says, No Room in Joe Biden's America for Persecuted Christian Refugees. Because who cares about Christians? Are you getting the message here? What this administration thinks about Christians. In case it was lost on you, uh, we're not their favorite people. And that's just as Jesus said it would be. All right, going back to the story. In addition to increasing refugee resettlement, and this is something you need to know as well, Biden rescinded an order that allowed states and localities to decide whether they wanted refugee resettlement in their communities. The order signed by Trump gave Americans veto power over the program that they for decades have been shut out of. So Trump said, you local jurisdictions ought to be able to have a say on how many people or who you want to bring into your own communities. And Biden just took that away. Why would that be? Over the last 20 years, as Breitbart says, nearly one million refugees have been settled in the country. This is a number more than double that of residents living in Miami, Florida, and would be the equivalent of annually adding the population of Pensacola, Florida, to the country. And by the way, every five years, refugee resettlement costs us nearly $9 billion. That's okay. What's money anyway? I mean, you know, just what's $3 trillion among friends when we want to have some kind of Biden law, you know, let's spend, let's just $2 trillion more on COVID relief and $3 trillion more on infrastructure and $76 million, trillion, billion dollars. I mean, I'm making this up, obviously, but money means nothing to any of these people. The fact that we're some 29 million, 29, see, I'm doing it again, $29 trillion dollars. $29 trillion or, or, or around that amount in terms of our national debt. What do they care? We'll be dead before we ever have to watch the United States collapse. I don't think so. I don't think a lot of these people will be dead when the United States may collapse. I, it's just so nauseating. And I'm seeing some story in the Christian Post. They're quoting from one of the refugee resettlement agencies. Oh, this is a moral revolution. A moral revolution. No, it's a financial boondoggle for the all these Christian named organizations, Lutheran and Church World Service and World Relief, and they're all oh, we're Christian. Yeah, they're Christian. They're they're federal contractors. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a federal contractor. What I do get annoyed by is that they don't tell the truth. They don't tell the truth. They would talk about the fact that there was such a terrible situation under Trump and these poor people. It's like, no, they didn't like having their coffers smaller because they weren't able to settle as many people. There's a lot of money in this. And you had people like Russell Moore and his contingent, oh, world relief and you must love your neighbor and blah, 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 blah. They didn't care about the United States. I don't believe they care about the United States. Here, here's what you also need to know. Ann Corcoran is great. She's over at the Refugee Resettlement Watch blog. She does such tremendous work on this issue. And here's what you really need to know. Here I named that amount of refugees that will be allowed to come into the United States as of October 1st through the next fiscal year. That's 125,000 people. But you know what? That's in addition to other categories of people coming into the United States. Let's go through some of them, courtesy of Ann Corcoran. We have Afghan evacuees 
estimated in the tens of thousands. We have special immigrant visa holders estimated in the tens of thousands. We have illegal aliens flooding our borders estimated to be over a million so far. We have an unknown number of visa overstays. We have temporary protected status migrants who never go home. We have 50,000 a year visa lottery winners and upwards of a million or so legal immigrants coming to take American jobs. Can you tell me, is this about being kind to the world or do you think there might be something more going on here? Of course, there's something more going on here. Why in the world do you have Democrats now lying about, oh, they're down there on horseback whipping these poor Haitians? That's not what happened. You had these men talking and and giving interviews about the situation down on the Texas border saying, we were not whipping anybody. We had reins for our horses and we were trying to keep our horses from getting spooked and getting touched. And we were not whipping anybody. And Kamala Harris talking about the horrible situation at the border. Uh, Who was in charge of the border, Kamala? Weren't you tasked to go down there and take care of things? And where have you been? What have you been doing other than going overseas and trying to change the subject and get out of the United States because you're an embarrassment? I don't know what she's doing, but not much. Nor is her boss, who's more concerned about you know, getting through a speech without stumbling than he is worrying about the open borders in the United States, I, what happened? You're transforming a country is what you're doing. You're transforming a country. And who knows what will happen? There was a statistics I saw just a couple of days ago about housing construction going up and a large part of the housing construction going up in the United States is apartments. Apartments. They're changing America, all right. It's just not going to be a change in a good direction. There's a lot more to come. Stay with us. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. From Sherwood Pictures, Affirm Films, Provident Films, and the Kendrick Brothers comes Courageous Legacy. Celebrating 10 years of impact on families and fathers, remastered in 4K, and including a new ending and bonus scenes. So where are you, men of courage? I believe every father should step up and answer the call and say, I will, I will. Courageous Legacy, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters this Friday. More information is available at CourageousTheMovie.com. When a young woman in crisis walks into a preborn pregnancy center, she's on a journey, and the Ministry of Preborn is there to help her bring her journey to life. Her name's Journey. She is the little peanut in my stomach. I'm glad I made the decision to keep her, even though it's life-changing, but it definitely changed my life for the best. Preborn offers free ultrasounds to women in crisis at pregnancy centers nationwide because when a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound, she's more likely to choose life for her baby. In fact, 8 out of 10 women will choose life if they see their babies on ultrasound. Would you join Preborn in the cause for life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your sponsorship goes to saving babies. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Your love can save a life. 
from Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine comes a new documentary, The Jesus Music. Jesus Music found its way in my hometown and it changed my life. I saw contemporary Christian music born right before my very eyes. I think music is the most powerful universal language in the world. Featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music, including Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, Toby Mack, and Kirk Franklin. The Jesus Music, only in theaters beginning October 1st. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Just recently, a number of religious leaders came out against religious exemptions for COVID-19 vaccines. According to AP, leaders of the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America said there is no exemption in the Orthodox Church for her faithful from any vaccination for religious reasons. The far-left Evangelical Lutheran Church in America issued a statement as well, saying that there is no evident basis for religious exemption in its own or the wider Lutheran tradition. And even First Baptist Dallas pastor Dr. Robert Jeffress said there there is no credible religious argument against the vaccines. Now, is that really true? We're going to get some thoughts on that issue today from Harry Mimet, who is Liberty Council's Vice President of Legal Affairs and Chief Litigation Counsel. Harry, welcome. It's so good to have you here. It's great to be back with you, Janet. Thank you. Liberty Council really has been at the forefront of this issue of religious exemptions for COVID-19 vaccines. What do you make of all these church leaders, including some evangelical leaders, saying that you can't make a credible religious argument against the vaccines? Well, it's ridiculous in the extreme, uh, Janet. Fortunately, these uh, self-appointed uh, leaders are not the final arbiters of what is um, religiously acceptable and what is not. The law in this country is absolutely clear that each individual religious adherent has the ability and the right to determine scripture for him or herself, and that in matters of religious conviction and religious belief, neither the government nor an employer nor even the pastor of First Baptist Dallas can purport to disagree with an individual adherent who has a sincerely held religious belief. Each Christian is entitled to read the scripture for him or herself and to come to their own conclusion about what the Lord and what the Spirit requires of them. Yes, that's a really good point. Now, one of the arguments that has been raised by a lot of Christians has been the pro-life argument and the concern about some of the fetal cell lines that have been used in the testing of some of the vaccines. Can you fill us in a little bit on the pro-life argument that is sometimes used by Christians to get these exemptions? Well, sure. And uh, I think it's a very compelling argument in this case because all three of the available uh, vaccines in the United States indisputably have their genesis in abortion. Uh, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is actually manufactured using a fetal cell line derived from an aborted baby, and the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines were tested, researched, and developed in their early stages when, when there was uh, the proof of concept and, and when they were designing the vaccine, they were using fetal cell lines from aborted children, which for many Christians is a non-negotiable um, um, aspect. It, it, it taints these vaccines uh, in their understanding of Scripture. Um, and so what we have here is, um, you know, th these vaccines are, are different from, say, the flu shot or, you know, many other 
um, drugs or, or medicines that might be available because of their indisputable connection to abortion. Now, some come and say, well, you know, these abortions took place 40 years ago, and that was a long time ago. And look at all the good that can be, um, you know, brought forth from those evil acts. Right. Uh, that, may, that may be okay for some Christians, you know, but for others, it doesn't matter whether the murder took place yesterday or last week or 40 years ago. The fact of the matter is that without the abortions that took place here, there would be no vaccine. That much we can all agree on because that is factual. Yeah, that's right. Now, I'm interested to get your take on this because I saw that there was a Conway Regional Health System is the name of this uh, hospital up in Arkansas. And they had made a move to make religious exemptions more difficult for staff to point to because they said you have to also swear off other medicines that use fetal cell lines if you're going to take a religious exemption for the COVID vaccine. So you have to swear off Tylenol and Tums and some of these other common over-the-counter medications. (laughs) Yes, Pepto-Bismol. I said, wow, that's crazy. Well, how do you respond to that? Well, what do you do about that if you're a Christian and you're saying, well, wait a minute, you know, who who is a hospital to tell me what my religious conscience is? I mean, what do you say to that? Well, here's the problem. This, this whole argument is a fraudulent argument, and it's fine for some hospital to make it either out of ignorance or malice, but it's really unfortunate when uh, I see the, the good reverend from First Baptist Dallas sort of buying that argument lock, stock, and barrel. Here's the problem. Tylenol, Tums, Pepto-Bismol, and most other medicines on that list were developed decades before abortion became legal in 1973. We're talking, I think, 1905 is when the FDA approved uh, some of these drugs, and and all of them were were approved decades before abortion became legal, and so they could not have possibly been developed, tested, and researched using fetal cells from murdered children. Um, but, but, But they come back and say, well, okay, but since 1973, some scientists so-and-so decided to conduct additional studies on these same drugs using fetal cells uh, obtained from abortion. Well, that doesn't taint the drugs themselves. You yeah. know, just, just because, um, you know, some guy drives, uh, decides to drive a car drunk and kill other people, that doesn't make Ford Motor Company, that doesn't make the car itself an evil instrument. Uh, and so it's the same thing here. The, these, this is a, a fraudulent argument that was, you know, developed with with malice intent towards people of good faith to try to trip them up. But in reality, uh, the, you know, the existence of these drugs does not, in the least bit, detract from their sincerely held beliefs against vaccines that indisputably would not exist today if it weren't for abortion. We would still have Tums and Pepto-Bismol and Tylenol today if it weren't for abortion, but we would not have any of the three COVID vaccines, Janet. That's a great point. I know that's wonderful information for people to have because a lot of us have been wondering about that. Really? That sounds a little strange. And now you've cleared that up. Now, some of the other issues that people have used, Harry, concerning religious exemptions for COVID-19 vaccines, one has to do, I think this is a very important point because you put this in, you have a sample letter that people can use to create their own religious exemption letters on your website, lc.org. One of the issues was supporting the individual believer's liberty 
of conscience, consistent with the principles outlined in 1 Corinthians 8. That's a really important point, going back to what you said at the outset, that you have the right as a Christian to read the scripture for yourself and to make a decision under this free conscience that God has given to you. Can you speak to that issue as well? Well, yeah, sure, absolutely. And, you know, I, again, I recognize that, that you know, these vaccines, this is an issue that there is going to be disagreement even among well-meaning Christians. And, and for some, you know, they're able to, to uh, take them and, and have a clear conscience about it. But for some other ones, they cannot do that in good conscience, given their understanding of, of uh, um, the Scriptures. And so it's not only the Scripture itself that gives Christians, you know, liberty to to uh, disagree on, on certain things and, and to, to take actions that some might find objectionable and vice versa, but it's the law. Yes. <laughs> and, and we're talking about here, you know, there's a legal mandate. There, there are people who are having to choose between their livelihoods and their conscience uh, in, in matters that should not be, in, 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 in issue, you know, choices that, that free Americans living in the land of the free should never be faced with. Yes, you're right about that. And it's becoming difficult in some contexts for Christians to even say, I'm taking a religious exemption because the first response is you don't get a religious reason and it's not helped by these faith leaders. But Title VII, as you mentioned, prohibits workplace discrimination on the basis of religion. So if you have somebody who's listening who says, I want a religious exemption, what is the best way to go about getting that if you can get that from your employer? Well, if you work for an employer that has at least 15 employees, then you're covered by Title VII. Uh, and so um, the, the, the key is to ask your employer what their procedure or process or form is for requesting a religious exemption, because every employer is going to have a, a different way to do it. The one might have a form that you fill out, another one might say you have to email uh, HR, and so on and so forth. Now, what we're finding is that a lot of people are making these requests verbally and some either ill-informed or, you know, a uh, uh, person with ill intent, uh, supervisors would, would tell them, well, you don't qualify or we don't have, um, uh, you know, an exemption process here. It's critical to make this initial request in writing and to receive a response in writing because, if you are discouraged from even making the request and you never make the request, then you cannot be heard to complain legally speaking that uh, you were you, you didn't receive an exemption. Yes, so yes. Uh, it's important to make these requests in writing. We do have a lot of resources, as you've mentioned, at lc.org that are designed to help uh, people to make these requests. Unfortunately, it's not the easiest thing to do. Uh, it does require a little bit of thought and effort and uh, and work, but fortunately, we're finding that the people who take the time to articulate uh, their understanding of Scripture are, for the most part, still able to obtain exemptions to these requirements. Yes. Well, and, and another thing that you've mentioned in your sample letter is there are also those who have recovered from COVID and have natural immunity. And so they're relying on God's protection consistent with Psalm 91. And that's, you know, that, that anybody who is saying there's no religious argument whatsoever, I think has just not looked into it very carefully to see all of these different issues that you guys helpfully recommend in this sample letter that you have over at your website. So I want to recommend it one more time to listeners. Go to LC 
liberty.org. That's Liberty Council's website. There are lots of resources there that you can use if you are interested in finding out more about how to obtain a religious exemption from the COVID-19 vaccine. And we sure are appreciative of Harry Mehat, who has been joining us and giving us some fabulous information that will be very helpful. Harry, thank you very, very much for being here. Thank you. God bless you, Janet. God bless you, too. And thanks again. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Courageous Legacy, the new movie from Sherwood Pictures, Affirm Films, Provident Films, and the Kendrick Brothers. Remastered in 4K and including a new ending, Courageous Legacy, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters, September 24th. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. One of the most insidious theological shifts that the Revoice Conference tried to force on Christians was this idea that the church must become a safe space for homosexuals, or sometimes they call them sexual minorities these days. Not a safe space for repentant homosexuals who know and accept what Christianity really is and how God really views sin and salvation, but as an affirming body for those who identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. Now, that narrative has been bad enough, but there was another narrative that was getting off the ground around the time of Revoice that I think is even worse. It's that straight Christians must learn from the wisdom and experience of so-called LGBT Christians. It's just crazy. Case in point, Christianity Today recently posted an article called Christian Marriage Demands That We Study Our Desires, Not Hide Them. And basically what it says is this. If you're married, you need to examine your extramarital desires and individual desires, which are just assumed. And who better to learn from on this issue than so-called sexual minorities who are, in the author's view, the very ones suited to teach the rest of us how to live faithfully with our own desires. That's right. If you've been married for a long time and have ever wanted out of your marriage or you felt attracted to somebody else, you maybe need to find yourself a so-called homosexual Christian to impart his wisdom to you. Let's take this apart biblically, shall we? We're going to do it today with Peter LaBarber, president of Americans for Truth about homosexuality. Peter, as always, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Uh, Thanks, Jan. Thanks for having me on. All right. We're going to go through the details here, but let me just summarize what this author, Hannah Anderson, is saying in Christianity Today. She's been married for 20 years. She notes that cultural views on divorce and marriage have changed, so it's not so much the culture affirming your marriage and staying in your marriage. Things have become more individualized. So if you have a crisis of desire, you find yourself attracted to somebody else, her answer is get some wisdom from sexual minorities. What is your take on that? Well, first of all, Janet, didn't it strike you when you read this piece that she's almost looking for an excuse to affirm homosexuality? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's just a, sort of a bizarre piece, and I, I haven't been reading Christianity Today much uh, recently, but uh, if this is what they have to offer, I'm not impressed. But let's look at the idea of sexual minorities. Now, I think it's already not a good thing for Christians to be overtly focused on even like racial and ethnic minorities, because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And there's, I think there's an obsessive focus on, oh, you know, whether it's black Christians or white Christians or you know, yellow Christians. But then when sexual minority doesn't even fit in that box, no. because that is a euphemism, and it's the latest euphemism designed to affirm homosexuality 
homosexuality and various perversions, because it's tr- we all know that the, the use of minority is sort of an affirming language, especially in our uh, civil rights-driven culture. So when you talk about a sexual minority, it's really a sort of ripping off the traditional civil rights movement and adding uh, basically d- deviant sexual uh, you know, identities into that. Right. And so I don't even think Christians should use the term sexual minority, how it's used in the culture. Well, and not only that, I think you're right on the money. And I think that's a really good insight. The, the other thing that strikes me is if you're having problems in your marriage, why would you go to a sexual minority who's not married to tell you how to deal with your marriage? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I think you're right when you say that she's almost looking for a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. I don't think there are a lot of married people. You've been married a long time. I've been married a long time. I don't think I've ever thought, you know, I'm having some issue here in my marriage. Boy, can, where's the sexual minority down the street who I can ask about this? It, it doesn't even make any sense. Uh, oh, no, it's I, Find me a gay guy. You know. <laughs> well, yeah, it's odd. No, if this is the future of American Christianity, we're we're in trouble. But <sighs> but there's so many things wrong with this piece. Like for example, she seems to say that self that homosexuals are are, are sort of like the most self aware people on the planet. Yeah. And and my experience is that there's a lot of uh, you know it's not really self awareness is what we're looking at when it comes to homosexuality. For example, you often hear the phrase uh, being gay. It's it's who I am, as if it's inherently and they don't want to say innately, but the born gay thing, of course, was very big a couple decades ago. and It's not as big now, but it, people still believe it. But it's basically they believe that they're inherently homosexual. That's not true. That's not true biblically. There's nothing in the Bible you can cite that would affirm a deviant sex or a deviant gender identity. And yet they, they sort of uh, sort of describe that as who they are. And so I don't really consider that as very uh, a sort of a, a self-awareness that we should emulate. Well, not only that, but when you're looking at the Christianity Today article that we're talking about, she's not quoting the Bible at all. I mean, it's all Mark Yarhouse. You know, we talked about him a lot when we did our God's Voice conference to refute the errors of Revoice, talking about Mark Yarhouse, who's been this very influential man who has, you know, taken all of this idea of sexual minorities and identity, et cetera, et cetera, and introduced all this new nomenclature into the church such that we're supposed to pick it up, this lingo, and just assume it's all biblical. And it is not biblical. Yeah, it, it, and it's a lot of worldly thinking, and we're in an age now which is turning the corner, and basically you look at so many aspects of our society, including in church circles, of course, there's the liberal church, but even now in evangelicalism, where you're seeing this, this sort of pandering to the homosexual movement and an almost celebration of this idea of sexual minority. Um, even conservative Republican circles now, we see polls in the United States, Gallup has found that 70% of the public now supports same-sex so-called marriage. So I think what's happening here is it's just a bending to the world. That's what this is. This is a theology that is trying to fit into the world rather than standing apart from it and saying, hey, come, come to truth. It's bending to the culture. It is bending to the culture. Here's another line from this piece. This Hannah Anderson writes, it's essential, meaning married couples, it's essential that we learn to face desire head on, not to undermine faithfulness, but rather to pursue it. So in other words, she said, you shouldn't eschew your desire, uh, in this case, maybe an extramarital desire. You should face it head on. Well, I'm reading the Bible, Peter, and 1 Corinthians 6 says flat out, flee from sexual immorality. And 2 Timothy 2 says, 
says, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. James 1.14 says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Are we not taught in scripture not to face desire, but to flee from it? What is wrong with this woman? She doesn't even understand the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking at Jeremiah 17.9 right here, Janet. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Yes. Who can understand it? Wicked. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. I mean, everything's backwards. And of course, morality has become the dirty word in our culture. It's not the N word so much. It's the M word, morality. And even when you look at uh, homosexual activists, they really, rarely want to face the, the clear moral teachings throughout Scripture. It's more about about, hey, you know, the, 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 the Bible wasn't written, and they don't really know what we know today about quote-unquote orientation. And, and Janet, that's another thing when it comes to these words. What, what, sexual minority is only the latest iteration of these euphemistic terms which have been used to normalize sin and deception on sexual issues for decades now. Gay, orientation, gender identity, uh, now they're calling these awful surgeries on the transgender, they're calling them, uh, what are they calling them, gender confirmation surgeries. Backwards. It's just awful, and this is just now the Christian church is, as I said to you before, in other interviews, you know, we're always 10, 20 years later than the, the vanguard of the left. You know, 10, 20 years later, they come by and embrace the things that liberalism is pushing in the culture. Yeah, and what you mentioned before, and I salute you for this, saying you rarely read Christianity today. You know, God bless you for that. But I have to read it more than you probably do. One of the things that has been something they criticize over and over and over, uh, and there's an accompanying article to this one that's linked in that same page, is purity culture. It's not just morality that they're down on. It's purity culture, because purity culture has harmed so many Christians. That one always makes me scratch my head as if purity is a bad thing. Sure, there might have been some people in the love one out, not love one out, but, you know, love will wait. Or What was the name of that? True love waits. That's what it was. Back in the day when you had, you know, parents really trying to emphasize to their kids, wait until marriage to have sex. And this is biblical. And this is exactly what should be taught. Now you have all of these deconstructions showing up on social media talking about how purity culture harmed me. So what they're doing is they're coming up with a new way of moving forward where they're flipping to this idea of sexual minorities somehow being a better thing. I want to get into it, but we have to pause for a short break. Peter LaBarber with us on Janet Meffer today. We'll be right back. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. 
find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mafford for Bible League International. Jaime is an itinerant pastor in Ecuador. In Latin America, there, there are violence. Pastors and Christian workers uh, face with attackers, thieves, gangs. So that's the, that's the problem. Jaime will travel days by foot, boat, and mule. He's been beaten by warlocks, robbed, and suffered broken bones after falling in the Andes Mountains. What awaits him at the end of each trip? A thriving congregation of hundreds of believers in an area where Christianity is fiercely opposed. When I share Jaime's story, I recall Isaiah 6, 8. Whom shall I send? Who will go? I believe this man is enduring more than some pastors ever will. And like others in the world where Bibles are desperately needed, Jaime is humbly asking us to send God's word. For only $5, you can send a Bible to Latin America and around the world, and a special match will double your gift. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Peter LaBarbera joins us from Americans for Truth about homosexuality. You can check that website out, americansfortruth.com. We are talking about Christianity Today. Why they never fail to give me good material. There's an article that recently ran. This is the headline, Christian marriage demands that we study our desires, not hide them. Being faithful to a spouse requires living in community, seeking God daily, and learning from our celibate brothers and sisters. And by celibate, she means LGBT celibate. Peter, when we go back to this whole issue of uh, sexual minorities are the wise ones we need to listen to. This is moving into a time where they're beginning to almost look upon these people as special. Like there's some kind of monks that we should put up on a pedestal. Look how pure they are. It's so backwards. It's so wrong. But they really are elevating the LGBT who should be told, repent of your sin and come to Jesus Christ and be transformed by the power of God's word and the gospel and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And instead, they're saying, no, 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 no. We need to turn away and learn from these people up on a pedestal who are faithfully LGBT. I I never thought, and yes, I did in the last few years, Ten years ago, could you ever imagine that the church would be where it is right now? No, and it's a very good insight you're making, uh, Janet, because what is happening is that homosexuality is receiving almost a religious-type status, yeah. at least the LGBT pride movement in our culture. And this articles like this are paving the way for the recognition of so-called gay Christianity in a sort of a proud sense. And I always like to do the sexual sin substitution test, as I call it, put another sin in there and see if it makes sense. We don't go around catering to, uh, say, I don't know, lust-driven Christians. or any, we, don't, we don't put the hyphen of the sin in front of other Christians. So you have to ask yourself, why are we doing it here? And I think the reason we're doing it is because homosexuality in this decadent state, in our declining nation, and we are 
definitely a declining civilization. We're a civilization literally fighting to survive now, Janet. Yes. We've left God behind. We've left our, our Judeo-Christian heritage behind. And now the Church is trying to stay relevant. And how, how better to do that than to appeal to, you know, the, sort of the, the, the heroes, as it were, in our culture. In our demented culture, the heroes are, are the LGBT people. Yes. Yeah. It's just nuts, but it, it, rather than stand apart and hold up that holy standard and say, come to me, come to Jesus, we're going, we're going down in the gutter to the sin movements, and this is the number one beloved sin movement of progressives in our nation. Well, one of the other things Hannah Anderson says here is the evangelical community has expended a lot of conversational energy debating and even policing how faithful members of sexual minorities define their experience of attraction and then talks about some debates. And then she says this, although these debates matter, perhaps our time would be better spent learning from brothers and sisters who are sacrificially committed to traditional Christian teaching on marriage. Yeah, because that's such a sacrifice to actually believe God's word, their experiences of attraction or lack thereof, meaning same-sex attraction, won't culminate in marriage or sexual coupling, which means they're the very ones suited to teach the rest of us how to live faithfully with our own. So let me see if I get this straight. See if you see it this way, Peter. (laughs) I don't know if I can do it without just losing my mind. I'm getting a headache. Yeah, me too. Basically, because these people lust after people of the same sex, they can help you if you have any kind of stray desire when you are married in a normal marriage between man and wife because they're sacrificially committed to the teaching on marriage. What? Yeah. Sacrificially me, committed? What does that even mean? Well, uh, there's two things I want to observe here. One is that word policing. Notice the, the slippery policing. Yeah. The Christians have just tried to uphold the biblical ethic. We're Amen. not going on, okay, we're policing you, we're policing. So <laughs> right, that's, a, right. that's a sinister use of language right there. True. The other one is this idea that it won't, uh, won't, they, it won't end up in a coupling. They can't end up in a marriage. Wait a minute. The first step is recognizing the so-called gay Christian. The next one will be, you're oppressing me if you're not allowing me to be with the person I love. Right. You're oppressing me if you don't allow me to get married. Can't they see that that's the next step? It's always a slippery slope. There's no way in the world that the so-called gay Christian movement is just going to say, okay, we'll take celibacy. We're, we're good for this for 17 decades henceforth. No way. The next step is you don't love us if you don't allow us to get married and, and experience our form of love. Oh, yeah, it's coming. She quotes, by the way, from Rachel Gilson, and people might remember that name. She was one of the participants in the original Revoice. She did a, a panel on mixed orientation marriages. There's another phrase for you. Not biblical at all. Uh, and Rachel Gilson, I identifies as a lesbian. She's married to a man, but she, I mean, who is this to be giving guidance on what's going on in man, woman, normal marriages? But I mean, look at who these people are who are being quoted in this piece. It, it's nuts. And here's the other thing I wanted to bring into this, Peter. Hannah Anderson writes that learning to examine our desires and attractions and how to distinguish between the two has the potential to bridge the gap between LGBT and straight believers. Isn't this going back to living out and their whole thing with Sam Alberry uh, back at the time of Revoice putting out the LGBT church audit on how churches can be more open and more of a safe space for homosexuals? I mean, we're right back to this. It's like they, right. they, they, they put it down for a while because we made it big stink about it but here it is again it's like whack-a-mole right and it's all it's the rule of dialogue with the left 
whenever Christians dialogue with the left, it's the left who gains in the dialogue, Always. not Christians. And right. then here we go again. Here we go again. So when you're looking at this whole issue of Christians and Christian churches being infiltrated with this ideology, what's your perspective, knowing as much as you do about LGBT activism, the history of this movement? You've talked a little bit about what's coming next, you know, this embracing of a so-called same-sex marriage. I think it's inevitable. You already have it in mainline liberal denominations. And, and but, I mean... Where do you think this is headed when you're increasingly seeing boldness in the pages of Christianity today on this LGBT issue that they weren't even bold enough to say a few years ago? I just think we're going to see growing apostasy, and it's going to have to take a, a, a narrow, um, you know, committed set of believers who stand against it. We're already seeing Christian leaders who've sold out on homosexuality. Um, are still quoted in uh, in Christian newsletters and Christian media. I noticed Janet. I don't know if you've you've seen that. Mm. And and so there's a tolerance that's already growing for sexual sin in the church, and it's only going to get stronger. We have to stand firm against it and stand biblically. Yeah. Well, and people and- have left homosexuality behind. That's another thing I noticed. Christianity Today is starting to promote the idea that you cannot change. Many, many people through Jesus have left homosexual sin behind. Yes. Doesn't mean they're not tempted ever, but they've they've left it as a lifestyle and identity behind. Right. Well, uh, this is something that's very important. I have talked sometimes using the phrase Bible-free Christianity, and I kind of say that tongue-in-cheek. But when you have articles that don't quote the Bible to back up what they are trying to assert, that should be the biggest red flag ever. Isn't it also the case? We have to become men and women of Scripture and to bleed Scripture when we're cut and to speak the Word of God and to believe the Word of God and to quote the Word of God. We've gotten away from that way too much, I think, Peter, and I think it's vital, especially in this battle, to use the sword of the Spirit to say, no, we we understand that people will be committing sexual sin and homosexual sin. The Bible talks about that. But 1 Corinthians 6 talks about such were some of you, but you were washed and you were cleansed, you were sanctified. There is hope and transformation for any repentant sinner. How can we offer that hope unless we're using the Bible? Absolutely. The, the answer is not um, watering down our Christian witness. The answer is going back to a more pure witness. And that's going to stand out. It's, I think it's, it would be the same for unmarried, you know, having sex outside of marriage. Yes. The way to have the witness is to say, no, I'm going to wait until I'm married. Not to say, okay, Christians should start sleeping with their, you know, their fiancés, but just so they, you know, we don't need to adopt the worldly approach. We need to stand apart and stand biblically. Right. Well, and that's what it means to be holy. That means to be set apart. We are set apart for God's use. We are not of the world. We are of the kingdom of God. We've been transferred out of the kingdom of of darkness into his marvelous light. We are new creatures in Jesus Christ. We are his ambassadors. And it really grieves me to the core, Peter, when I read an article like this, and I know there are dear souls reading this who will come away saying, oh, that sounds pretty good. And there's no Bible in it. That is the biggest tragedy of all. Absolutely, and I think there's going to be more to come. I'm going to start reading Christianity Today more. I I just sent you another article by a guy who's talking about, in his book on Amazon, Greg Johnson, he talks about how there needs to be a repentance of of the church's homophobia. When the church starts talking about homophobia, you know we're in serious trouble. Why is that guy still in ministry in the PCA? That one will 
confound me forever. That guy needs to be driven out of the ministry, but they'll never do it. St. Louis Presbytery is hopeless. Pray for them in the PCA because they're great people in the PCA too. We're out of time. Peter LaBarber, check out americansfortruth.com. Peter, as always, so good to have you here. Thank you again. Thanks for all you do, Janet. All right, you too. Take care. God bless you. God bless. We will see you next time on Janet Mefford Today. This hour of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you in part by the new documentary, The Jesus Music from Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine, featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music. The Jesus Music, only in theaters beginning October 1st. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie.